let's just be that trusted advisor to our business and help them solve those problems, which may not necessarily be this whiz-bang, amazing piece of tech. It may just be a human element that takes some time to tweak what we already have so they can do their job better. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. My name is Saki. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. And today, I have the great pleasure of hosting Michael Boucher, the Chief Information Officer of Newfold Digital. Hey, Michael. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, maybe let's start like any episode. Tell us a little bit about how did you get to be a CIO, a little bit of your journey up to this point. I didn't get here intentionally. I think it was more by happenstance. I think I built my career on moving from one emergency to another. People that needed help in a pinch, and I have moved from place to place, helping people manage chaos and bring chaos to order. And that's really how I ended up being CIO as well, (laughs) being brought in at the heels of a pretty big mess and then being asked, how do we fix this? All I can say is if you want to be a CIO in life, you have to be able to appreciate chaos, understand how to operate in chaos, potentially for some time. And then knowing, though, that your direction is to bring order to that over time. (laughs) You know, it's funny you said that. First thing comes to my mind is, how does the last few years chaos (laughs) So at Newfold Digital, I joined in February 20 and COVID hit in March. So I came in to help a company that went from public to private, you know, bring some order to the chaos that was part of that transition. Literally three days later, we're into COVID. It's a company that was very brick and mortar. We did not have a lot of work from home capabilities And I was asked, hey, you've got three days to figure out how to get the whole company to work from home. And then to your point, I have a goal, so let's go figure it out. (laughs) To a team that I just met that's only worked for me less than two weeks, and we are now to figure that out. So that's the space you have to be comfortable operating in. And I get to talk to a lot of leaders in the last year around that sort of rapid transition or sort of the externalities that comes in. I think there's a really simple though accurate way of thinking about it like how do you bring order to the chaos so what was maybe some of the tactics or things that made that successful especially being completely new to the (laughs) the team and the situation you know sometimes trust is very important when you go in like blindfolded where you just parachuted into this company it's just a few weeks in what of some of the tactics you used it worked you actually hit the nail on the head with one word that's trust or a group of people that have been through some pretty dramatic change. We have changed leadership. They changed going from public to a privately held company. And all of a sudden, there's this new guy coming in, barking orders at you. Why am I following this guy? I think first and foremost, people need to understand you as a person, as a human being, what drives you, what's important to you. I don't want to say that like I'm putting on some sort of show. That's not it at all. You have to be transparent almost to a fault. People have to understand your anxiety too. They have to feel that this is something real and they have to be able to get some genuine feeling from you. So pretty early on, it was a quite a few, I want to say all hands meetings, but fairly broad scope, 30, 35 people on a conference call and talking about 
hey, we've just been given a mission to get 4,000 people to work from home in 30 days. And we only have the stuff that's in front of you to make that happen. So I know we don't have all the right tools and this may not be the best way to do it, but we're going to have to push through this because we won't be operating in our call centers because a large part of our company is contact center employees. How do we get them working from home and helping our customers in the same fashion in 30 days from now so that we can keep this business running because that's how desperate this is. Being able to see that it's a certain degree of vulnerability, it's a certain degree of transparency and communication. Just let your guard down a little bit and people tend to respond to that. I appreciate the situation. You know what's fascinating to me is just when you look at the timing a little bit, right? We're recording this in almost April, like end of March of 23, and everything around AI, right? And the wave is coming. But even before, just technology in general. And then the solution is always seems to be, and you kind of brought this front and center, is you need to be human, right? You need to come to this problem, vulnerable, transparent. We need to solve this. And you're obviously coming from technology, right? I personally come from technology. But throwing technology on a problem is almost never the solution. And as you talk through it, it wasn't about bringing new technology. It's about sort of like building that trust and technologies are the way. There might be sort of the tooling, but to yield the tool, you kind of like need the people to feel human. So how do you see that maybe on a broader discuss because zooming out a little bit from COVID and that change, just in general, how you guys, how do you think about technology as part of like running an operation versus where the people relationship and processes or just even culture comes into play? Great question because the company that I'm a part of has grown through over 90 acquisitions in the past 15 years. It's a staggering number of acquisitions. So to your point, you're absorbing a lot of change over a long period of time and people appreciating what problem you're trying to solve first before you throw technology or tech at it, for lack of a better word. 80% of what we do is we help small businesses do their job. These are small businesses without IT shops. They don't have technology people. They just have a technology problem. But to your point, you could throw tech words and tech at it, but it really comes down to somebody on the phone just listening to their plight, saying, I'm trying to reach this demographic with my product. How do I set up a website and get email and do an advertising campaign? And I had on the first thing about what I'm doing. And it's a lot of what we do. So it's to your point, we could lead with the technology or we could lead with the human element. And a lot of these problems only get solved in understanding uniqueness of somebody's situation and where they're at and their business life cycle and where they're trying to go with it. Because we have, unfortunately, right or wrong, we have more than enough products and tech to throw at it, which can probably make it worse if you implement it incorrectly. So getting a human being on the phone, at the end of the day, as much as we try to do through chat and email, which we do, it does boil down to getting somebody from our professional services team and talking with them and saying, let's take a step back. Let's understand what you're trying to accomplish. Let's order these things in the right order so that we can actually deliver something for you of value to you as opposed to a transaction. And that's a lot in how I run even my IT shop. It's like, don't worry about the ticket or the transaction. Let's just talk about what this person needs. And we'll worry about the logistics later. Now I want somebody to tell me that I had a huge problem and this person just called me on a Saturday night and they helped me get through it because I had a big report I had to do as opposed to, 
well, you didn't fill out this ticket correctly. I'm not worried about the transactional piece of it. That'll fix itself. <laughs> I talk a lot about the difference between focusing the experience, focusing the process, focusing the effort on the data. And the data is like a broad term to kind of describe the ticket in one hand or sort of like the tactical problem versus focusing it on the person or the people on the element of it. What I found and kind of curious to your thoughts is that we kind of got it wrong a little bit in that last 20 years of like software and tools, which was all built for the data aspect of it versus realizing that the actual work, the actual operation, the actual value even is actually on the people layer. Yeah. And when you were talking through the, I want to get to this demographic or the small business person, like what they want to hear, we got you, we can help you. Like they want to hear that sounds like, okay, there's someone here that can help me. So it just comes afterwards. It's always that resolution, like striving for the resolution versus sort of like striving for the information. Let me give you all the information. Let me instead tell you that, hey, we can resolve this. We'll get you there. Let's unpack it type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And what's kind of bipolar about the whole situation is that to me, like incident management and dealing with a specific issue with a customer and there's a strong human element that needs to be there to in the moment you'd appreciate the problem they're going through right now and to your point it's not about throwing data or even a product at them it's we're going to figure this out let's take a step back and let the human element shine in that moment but also to your point then the strategy the strategy is driven by data so to see trends and to see where we're failing and where we're succeeding, that does require data. That does require some level of almost like a patient-doctor relationship to what's happening too. So they're both right. It's just how you apply it, whether it's in the moment or it's looking at the big picture. Both those lenses are equally important. And I think we get it wrong where we try to step back in the moment, which is the wrong time. And then we get emotional about the strategy, which sometimes can also be the wrong time to do it. So you have to juggle both. I like the doctor analogy a lot because this kind of like where I was going with it too is that's the funny thing about people going to the doctor these days. The interaction the doctor expects is to basically you tell them, hey, I don't feel very good. I have this type of experience. And then they would ask you for a question. And together, so like through that Q&A, try to create a diagnosis. Today, though, a lot of people just go search online, Google, they come to the doctor and be like, I think I have X. Yeah. And the doctor's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, it's like the use of data is critical to diagnosis, but like by who and when? You know, and we kind of talk before the conversation about the famous quote of Henry Ford, if you want to share it, but I honestly think it's very related. So maybe, you know, maybe we can talk through it for a second and can connect back to it. Yeah. Probably the most cringeworthy quote that I hear from technology people is, hey, tell me your requirements. The problem with that statement is you're basically asking your customer or the individual with an issue to basically boil down the solution for you already before you have a chance to really understand what problem they're really trying to solve. Because a problem statement isn't necessarily a requirement. It's just, hey, I've got an issue. And to your point, Henry Ford was quoted by saying that if I had gone out and asked people what they really wanted, they would have asked for faster horses. But I was trying to solve a very different problem. And with that, in technology particularly, 
if technologists already have a technology in their head that they want to bring to the table, it's almost like technology looking for a problem. Like I have the solution over here, but I don't have enough problems to solve with this. So let me go out and ask my customer in an almost weighted or directed way to get them to answer that, hey, by the way, this tool is going to fix it. And in fact, that's not really what they're asking. And basically divorcing yourself, and this is the bipolar part of this, you have to stop being a technologist for at least 30 minutes and sitting there like a doctor and just say, just tell me what your worst pain is. Tell me what the thing you hate about day-to-day right now, managing your operation, getting through a day. What is it that you're struggling with the most? Just take the tech out of it for a moment. The thing that's hardest to understand for you. And then just listen. And sometimes you may not have a solution at all, but eventually your customer becomes to rely on you to share, hey, I got five problems, six problems, seven problems. You might be able to solve two of them, and that's okay. We don't have to solve everything, which is, by the way, the other crux of a technologist is, I'm going to solve every one of your problems. Like, well, let's just take a step back. I'd be happy to solve one of their seven problems, maybe two if I'm having a great week. But let's just be that trusted advisor to our business and help them solve those problems, which may not necessarily be this whiz-bang, amazing piece of tech. It may just be a human element that takes some time to tweak what we already have so they can do their job better. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. I think this is really really important lesson. You know what's funny about the quote from Ford? This is absolutely true. I completely agree with you with the requirement piece. This is very, very common. It's like, let's talk to your problem, but actually, you know what? Wasn't you already give me the solution? Again, comparison to the doctor situation is actually very interesting that we kind of uncovered here because a part of that too is the bias, unintentional bias, but the bias exists on both sides, sometimes on the technologist or the operator, right? And sometimes on the customer that can inhibit sort of like the first principle approach to actually understand, A, what the problem is, by the way, do you even need a solution? Maybe you need to delete that problem. Or, you know, maybe you just right, you need to stop doing it. Maybe the solution is just not doing it anymore. Maybe the solution is, like you said, tweaking stuff. Maybe the solution is actually change the timing or the weight of things or like the distribution of work. And then maybe a technology can help you do that. And maybe you don't need a technology to do it. There's a lot of ways to go about it. But I find it interesting how much not trivial it is for people to be critical thinking about the fact that every one of us, including me, you, and all the people that are in that positions have their own bias. Sometimes this is how it used to be, or this is how I'm used to it, or this is what we already have, or... It will be too expensive or it will be too hard or it will be too this and that. And clouding their ability to start asking that initial question, which is tell me your pain and then don't take it for the sake of it and try to understand why. And again, I think a good doctor diagnosing a situation, a problem would approach it with a first principle approach because doctors make those mistakes too sometimes, right? They'll be like, oh, I just had a case of this. That sounds very similar. You probably have this. Here's a prescription. Whereas, right, wait a second. It might be actually 
completely unrelated that symptoms of it. Sometimes I talk about it in the sense of operation process IT. A lot of folks that are problem solvers, sometimes I feel like we're all product people. We just don't know it yet type of thing. Yeah. Because if you really think about what this expectation is from like a product leader or product manager, is to do yeah. exactly what you just said. It's like, Stick to the noise, forget about what technology can do, what our technology can do, what marketing want to say, yeah. what sales want to sell. What is the actual user, customer? Yeah. What do they actually really do, like, need? And then iterate from there, right? So sometimes understanding that simple thing is useful. You know, maybe step back again, going to the fact that you guys are an interesting point where you have your own internal needs and operational challenges and, and strategies and then there's how you help all the other clients to do a similar strategies right. and challenges what are the some of the secret sauce or some of the playbooks in which you kind of find parallels or did you so like again bring either from internally to the playbook that you help customers or the opposite things that you kind of see the tips you give your customers and you guys manifest in generally yeah, there's a few different angles one in particular, being a fairly M&A-driven company, you do get a lot of the, this is the way we've always done it. You get all those conversations where when you start asking the questions, why are you doing this this way? And probably the hardest problem of an IT person, because we are a service organization, we'd like to satisfy our customers. So saying no or saying you're wrong, these are inherently difficult conversations, but when there's a particular business or a team inside the company who feels that the way we're doing this is the right way because we've always done it this way for the past 30 years, and then you go out and try to find a piece of technology to solve this problem, well, it doesn't fit. Nothing fits because you start realizing that the way they're doing this is inherently wrong. And that is the hardest, if I could say, the probably the biggest failing of IT before leaping straight to the quote unquote requirement, understanding the problem first, and then being able to build that credibility and trust with your customer to be able to tell them that, you know, if you would just change this process a little bit, it would fit really well with this. But as you stand now, I may not have anything that can fix your problem because I think part of the problem is how you're doing business. That's a tough conversation to have. And because IT is all about efficiency, we don't necessarily tend to put, I hate to say it this way, but that human element right up front again, where let's just start with the conversation. We tend to start with open a ticket, give me a request, and then we'll go chew on that. We'll figure out how to solve your problem for you, which tends to get both sides in trouble pretty quick because they underestimated the size of the problem and the amount of change that was required to really fix what's happening, which could be even a data problem. So you could both be wrong. And that's, a, that's even a more difficult situation to be in. And generally, right back to the beginning of our conversation, it, it does give back to a certain level of trust even with your customers. That's needed that I'm not here to sell you anything that you don't want. And by the way, this may actually be me telling you some news that might not be easy to hear the first few conversations that if you just alter the way you're doing business, these products would maybe fall back in line with, by, by the way, we may not actually have something on the box that may take some time too. So... It's always interesting back and forth. It's quite funny how like everyone wants better. Everyone wants progress. Everyone wants innovation. Everyone wants improvement, but no one wants change. Right. How can it be better if it's not different? 
we have this struggle too because we tend to be bipolar in our business as well, which obviously throw labels and everything. It's just it's a society, whether it's Gen Z or a boomer, and you have these labels on your customers and you say, well, this demographic is going to behave this way to this change. So we're going to have to create a whole new way of making this change happen for this group. But this group over here will be totally fine with it. And so to your point, we as a society, at least I've found even inside IT, even change in IT, which we're supposed to be able to embrace change in IT, but we don't. We even have people that are fairly religious. I just use that word, but about a particular tech or tool. I've used this for 20 years. It always works. That's what I want to use. <laughs> and you have to kind of say, well, we're going to get off that now and we're going to move this way. And here's why. That's always interesting. It's human nature. That's why they call it growth pains because it's <laughs> painful to grow. You need to break some tissues in order to grow them. It's fascinating. Going into so like more of the personal aspect of it, because we get to the end of this great convo, what was an advice you got early in your career or in your personal life or something that follows you around and give to other people that is worth sharing? I may not jump right off the page the first time I say it, but I had someone pull me aside once because my very first consulting job, I was working 60-hour weeks, Saturdays and Sundays, and someone pulled me aside and said, the definition of making it, by the way, if you just want to know, and he goes, you stop getting paid for what you're doing and you start getting paid for what you know. I didn't understand it quite in the moment, but it stuck with me because I just felt that I had to do all of it. There's all my shoulders. I have to go do it. I have to fix all these issues myself, but appreciating what I know and being able to delegate that and train others and build a team is really what he was saying. That stuck with me for so many years. I didn't even fully appreciate it for many years after that, but it stuck with me that I'm not really going to be able to solve the bigger problems on my own. I won't scale. So if I make it my mission to learn as much as I can along the way and be able to pass that along and be able to bring others into that umbrella and also with the same mission, then I'm going to accomplish a lot more than I ever went on my own. It took me quite a few years to figure that out. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful way to tie the bow back to actually that trust and the human part of it too. So it's about the action ability of the certain tasks or taking it in and just go run it in a rumble style. But it's actually how do you kind of create that vulnerability it's where you start from, right? Create that vulnerability. What is the value that you bring to the table? Okay. I appreciate you for sharing that. This was a great conversation. If anyone wants to follow up, chat more, nerd more about the things, where can they find you? Is that LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah, I actually have a fairly public profile out there. So anybody should be able to message me. Happy to talk about IT in general or even about Newfold Digital in general. We're in a rapid evolution as a company. So we recognize things we do well. We also recognize things we don't do well. And we're working through that as with any business. So happy to discuss that as well. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you very much, Michael. That was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 